0: Hello. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have uh, Dr. Eric C. Westman. He's an MD and in MHS, uh, internal medicine doctor. He's uh, also an associate professor of medicine and the director of the Duke Lifestyle Medic- Medicine Clinic. Uh, he's board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine, and he has a master's degree in uh, clinical research. So, Dr. Westman, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah. So, um, before we jump in, I know that you're one of the speakers at the upcoming uh, Metabolic Health Summit. It happens uh, very end of January, beginning of February. So I'm glad to see that you'll be there. Um, we're going to go over your work today here on the phone. But can you give people, listeners, just um, you know the, the basic title or topic of your talk at the Metabolic Health Summit? What are they going to hear about there?
1: Sure. I'll be giving a talk with a title, something to the effect of the keto diet the clinical implementation and research frontiers.
0: Have you mm-hmm. heard of the
1: keto diet lately? <laughs> it was the most oh, popular search oh, term uh, over the last couple of years for a diet. It's been amazing to see.
0: Yeah, no, I've experimented with uh, you know a, a version of it, not the strict version, and I've you know interviewed quite a few people that are talking about it. So the topic's going to be really well received for sure, definitely.
1: Yeah. So this meeting that is uh, the third meeting that will bring together clinical and research and basic research and the animal level, even theoretical models and test tube research, uh, all pretty much around what happens when a human doesn't or other animals don't eat carbohydrates, which is now under the name of a keto diet. But, but we've been studying this back uh, now going on 20 years uh, without mm-hmm. carbohydrate in the human diet. It's pretty interesting what can happen.
0: Well, I guess some of the really interesting things, too, is uh, now there's exogenous ketones. So some people I know are, are you know continuing to have either low-carb or high-carb and using exogenous ketones. And who knows what that's going to do, or maybe you do know what that's going to do to the human body when you're combining those two unusual things.
1: So my research as an internal medicine and obesity medicine doctor has been mainly in the context of cutting out carbohydrates and letting the body itself generate its own ketones. Uh, what is exciting and novel is the idea of exogenous ketones, meaning your body doesn't make them. That would be endogenous. So exogenous means it comes from outside. And uh, it's fascinating to see. You definitely can. Uh, well, So one of the first breakthroughs of the old thinking was, oh, you can't drink or, or consume ketones. The, the stomach will break them down and it won't do any good or you won't even generate a ketone level. And, and that's been true, shown to be uh, true that you can increase the body's ketone levels uh, by consuming ketone in the food or the drinks. And so that was the first breakthrough that, uh, again, it's pushing the envelope of, of what we thought held to be true uh, for so long. Um, and then whether, whether ketones, uh, drinking them help you lose weight or not better, is an open question still, and I'm actually looking forward to the latest research in different contexts at this meeting coming up um, at the end of January. All
0: right, That's great. Excellent. Well, I know that your um, your research appears to focus pretty heavily on obesity. Maybe we can take a quick step back. Why the interest in obesity? I know it's unfortunately super prevalent. You know, my myself, I'm not the skinniest person by far, and I, I see it everywhere. So what... Why do you choose to focus in this area, first of all?
1: Yeah, so my background is in internal medicine and clinical research in internal medicine. So I learned how to do clinical trials, uh, designed my own, did my own data analyses and publications. And I started at Duke University, now going back 20 years ago, uh, uh, well, 28 years ago now. And um, so my uh, interest was, Uh, See, back 20 years ago, everyone thought eating fat and not eating carbohydrates would necessarily kill you. I mean, it it was thought to be like you were on the edge of a cliff kind of danger, going to kill you. Well, it was clear to me that that wasn't the case. Because two of my patients came in, having done, uh, back then it was called Atkins induction, done the Atkins diet. And they lost all this weight. And, you know, so it clearly worked. The concerns that we had then were, were about safety. And and so Dr. Atkins, Dr. Eats, who were protein-powered, Dr. Bernstein, all these doctors were using a keto-type diet, but they were thought to be quacks. And I think the main issue was not that it couldn't work. It was just, was it safe? And so we started looking at the keto diet starting in 1998 in terms of safety. And what we found pretty quickly is that, no, everyone did not die, <laughs> you know, like on the edge of a cliff, or even it's not yeah. that level of danger. Uh, it, it's more of a, a side effect. Some people might get fatigue and, and cravings early on. And then what's fascinating is over the the next ensuing 20 years, the more you study people not eating carbohydrates, the better it looks. So that it starts with obesity because in the big picture, what happens is your body starts burning its own fat when you don't eat carbohydrate. It's just because we store energy on our bodies as fat. But no one thought that, you know, it was going to be a good thing to eat fat. So we would always eat carbs. And and so it was a big shift in mentality to uh, just think, well, no, I just want the body to burn fat. And that's why it was being applied to obesity, which is a condition of too much fat, too much uh, adipose tissue, really too much energy stored on the body. And the way to get your body to, to start burning fat, well, one way is to not eat carbohydrates. Another very effective way is to not eat anything at all, and all you have to do is look on a reality TV show where people go out and they don't eat anything. I mean, they turn into fat-burning machines and they lose weight, sometimes up to a pound a day. And so we we don't think that's a safe thing to do. We so in the obesity medicine world, we want to optimize and make it as safe as possible the idea of burning fat to lose uh, to lose the body fat and to fix obesity. And that's why it really started. Um, as a obesity treatment and still continues today. I, you know, I just as an aside, um, one of the reasons we have obesity to such a great degree today is that uh, one of the influences was a governmental guideline came out in the 1970s that said eating carbohydrate was healthy and eating fat was bad. And and it was not evidence-based at all. There was no science behind it. And so the the companies that made these foods that didn't have the the fat in it that had a lot of carbs in them. And so now we have the biggest diabetes and obesity epidemic that there's ever been. And it turned out that there was sort of a governmental um industry um, uh, um working together to sell the foods that, you know, the wheat and the corn that America makes and uh and without regard to the downstream consequences. So um but obesity uh is the first uh, no brainer that the keto diet is good for, and then of course type two diabetes, meaning elevated blood sugar all day long, is very effectively treated by not eating sugar. And you know that's the other kind of duh, You know why? Why did we not think about this? Uh, so when a patient, when one of my patients that I see, I see a wide range in a uh, private practice within a university. I see wide range of educational levels and all that. The fat burning idea is a little harder to. to Teach, but the idea that eating or drinking sugar raises your blood sugar and diabetes is a problem of elevated blood sugar it is very simple to teach. <laughs> so uh, I basically exactly. don't want don't want people to eat or drink things that raise the blood sugar. And uh, why that's so difficult for even doctors today to understand is it's a whole other, you know, there are books written about this now as to how the... The uh, idea, the science was weak, and the, the governmental and industry uh, products that were developed were basically to make you addicted to the food. And anyway, it's, uh, long story short, it can be fixed by just stopping the carbohydrate consumption, which is now known as the keto diet.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you um, some more advanced questions on keto, you know, because I've spoken to a lot of people, and I, you know, the basics of it seem to be pretty clear, but. Um, But I want to ask you, since you've studied it for so long and probably in such detail, what are the outliers of it look like? You know, for instance, are there people where the keto diet just doesn't seem to have any effect on their weight? Or, um, you know, are there any unusual metabolic instances you've run across? You know, again, it it works for a lot of people, I'm sure. Unfortunately, nothing seems to work for everybody. So maybe it's in those areas, again, the fringes that uh, maybe you found some interesting findings.
1: Yeah, well, you know I I think that's the next evolution of of the science and research about the keto diet. The the idea that uh it will be harmful for everyone, well that's that's just not true. We we that's established uh, in fact it's therapeutic and beneficial for many many people, you know, probably the majority of Americans who have obesity or overweight or diabetes. So when you're looking at the, yeah, the uh, the fringe uh, uh, pushing the far uh, the envelope, um, what I observe is is that um, you have to be very careful about whether someone's actually doing it or not. Uh, you know, are you in a metabolic ward with a human where they have no uh, ability to eat anything other than what you've asked them to eat? Because in my world, in the clinical medical world, you just can't believe what people you, I mean, it's not that they're often with de- addiction, there's denial and, and even people aren't honest with themselves. <laughs> so so I have yet to really see someone have have it not work for weight loss when they're doing it correctly. And now that's the whole big asterisk is you have to learn how to do it correctly. And the um, people coming into the world now thinking that you have to drink oils and butters and to ramp your ketones up when they're trying to burn their own body fat is a big mistake. So I'll see people, the first thing I do is if someone comes to me as a specialist, I'll sit down for about 45 minutes, take a long medical history and diet history and say, well, what did you do? And someone says, keto diet. I say, okay, well tell me exactly what you ate and drank. You know, Ideally, they would bring in their food records and even ketone measurements of some uh, in some way, but a lot of people won't do that. And so when you teach someone correctly, the appetite goes down, and they start burning their body fat. And I, I haven't seen that not work in a in a, in anyone. So I, I'm gonna correct you. This probably will work for everyone, and that goes to the uh, idea of going out into the deserted island and not eating anything. That will work for anybody. You know that. Um, right. And the the tough thing is in the today's world where there's just food everywhere, and you you have temptations and all that. Um, and then, you know, you think you're eating. I erase in people's minds the idea that they need to eat. I mean, it's just bizarre how someone will come to me. It's like they feel they have to top off their gas tank every few hours to keep it full when the gas tank's already full, you know. So anyway, there's a lot of unlearning, social uh, eating and that sort of thing. Um, now, So I think it will work for everyone. Now, whether everyone wants to do it, it's another big thing issue and I don't push it on everyone I understand not everyone wants to do it and that's fine um, there are a lot of ways to go about managing health and um, until there's more science wrapped around keto is definitely better in in a human uh, kind of study paradigm I'm, I'm really kind of looking and just being open-eyed you know I, I don't think we have the data to say everyone should be doing it uh, but it's looking better and better well, you, all the time rather than looking yeah. worse and worse all the time. Uh, well, you,
0: you mentioned um, people that are consuming lots of oil. So I, I have a question. Um, a few researchers have said, well, you still do have to watch calories if you have too many calories, and especially if you're consuming uh, lots of fat calories directly, that it can uh, stop any weight loss. It'll keep you where you're at. So what do you, you, know, do you see situations where someone is actually adhering um, moderately to the keto diet, but maybe they're consuming an excess of calories or an excess of fat directly, they're drinking oils, like you said, uh, coconut oil, olive oil, having tons of fat, um, would that stop their weight loss? You know, What about those situations?
1: Yeah, so put me in the camp of those who think calories matter, and that you can overconsume calories, including fat calories, and not lose weight on a keto diet, because that's what I see in my clinical practice. Um, and now, uh, you know, informal research studies that have gone through peer-reviewed publications, there are zero studies. So we're all kind of using our best intuition, what we see in our practices. Uh, in fact, there's, there's uh, the science is at the level of a of an individual. His name is Sam, who lives in the UK, who put himself on a 5,000 calorie per day diet of different macronutrient compositions, and he actually gained weight on a keto diet. So that's one human and one metabolism, Uh, but no calories do matter. And uh, uh, the interesting thing is that they don't behave the same uh, depending on the food they come from. So there's a metabolic cost of burning calories if you're eating proteins and fats, when sugar calories uh, really just, you know, comes just with energy and, and there's no metabolic, very less metabolic expense to burn them. Of course, when you step back, the nutritional value of something that just says sugar or starch is also biologically almost nil. I mean, there's no protein, there's no fat, which are really the essential nutrients that the human body needs. So it put me in the camp of those who still believe calories matter. It's just that it's not as easy to calculate as we've been led to believe.
0: Well, perhaps the keto diet's more tolerant. I mean, so for regular diets, Uh, The the thinking seems to be, you know, you need to be in a caloric deficit in order to lose weight. Is that in your just observations, is that true with keto or is it more tolerant where you could be at, uh, you know, you're getting the calories that you need metabolically. Maybe you're even at a slight surplus and it still works. Or do you have to be at a deficit as well?
1: Well, when you talk about a caloric deficit, I'm assuming you're including the metabolism speed and the amount you're burning through exercise. So if all right, of those yes. things are held held um, and considered, well, the recent science, and this is David Ludwig at Harvard, uh shows that you can actually eat more calories and and lose weight, the same amount of weight. I mean this we knew this back when uh Steve Friedland and John Mervopoulos was doing uh they they were doing a study here at Duke looking at cancer. They had to feed the the animals more food to keep the weight the same if they were doing a low-carb keto diet. So, you know, you you either choose to keep the calories the same and let the weight go down with the animals, or you keep the weight the same and feed the animals more. So you can't accomplish both. So I I guess what I'm trying to say is the, the metabolic rate goes down, but it goes down less when you're losing weight on a keto diet. So there's actually a small metabolic Advantage is the term that's been used for ages, and it does exist. It's not the main reason why people lose weight. They clearly eat less than before in, a, in the clinical trials that we've done, again, when they're taught properly. And we've never asked people to drink fats, and that's something new that needs to be studied formally. Uh, I would love to help do that study, actually, consulting or do it myself, where we look at a current keto teaching sort of diet, let you have drink oils and butters and, and versus one, the classically low carb, but don't add fat and to see uh, which one works better. Um, yeah, calories matter and you do need a caloric deficit. It's just that how things change depending on, things change depending on what you eat and the keto diet looks to be better as limiting free put this all in one phrase. Yeah, you can probably eat more and lose weight on a low carb keto diet than on other diets because of all of these things happening.
0: Okay. And what if you're someone that, um, let's say you've had your gallbladder removed or for some reason metabolically you're just not good at breaking down fats, would that present a challenge to the keto diet? And what would you do in those circumstances?
1: Yeah, in my experience, the gallbladder being there or not doesn't matter. So that unless you're really, again, if you're, well, uh, if you're drinking lots of fats and oils, A, you might get nausea and stomach upset, which I do not see. In people who don't drink oils, um, there's a uh, if you're generating ketones from your own body fat, you wake up in the morning and you're just not hungry, and you don't have to add in these things. So you could be drinking too many oils and overcome the uh, lack of gallbladder bile. uh, Sort of a a, it's a, a amount that's accumulated and then it squirts out timed with the meal so that you digest the fats better, but. If you're just eating real foods in a low-carb keto way, I don't see having a gallbladder as necessary at all. And I know a lot of people come in with that thing that uh, thinking that it's bad, and no, I don't don't see that. Even after a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass surgery, where the stomach is made about as big as a hen's egg, and then the the intestines are rerouted so that the timing of the gallbladder secretions. Really have no relation to when someone's eating something. Even a keto diet does well in that context as 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 well. So you know another frontier that I'm working on because I get a clinical population where other doctors are sending me their most difficult patients. We've used a keto diet in people who have heart failure and have a implanted heart pump, who are on warfarin anticoagulation and have to have sodium Mm -hmm. restriction, and and they do well. and, And the doctors uh <laughs> need them to lose weight before their heart transplant. And so they don't want to add in a new new medicine or do an operation and and so the idea that you can manipulate the food and other in these other medical uh you know even very seriously ill medical populations is pretty neat. And that, that's one of the frontiers that I'm pushing in that uh there are the other doctors who want to operate on the knee or the hip or something, but people are too heavy and they wanna do something that's relatively safe. And so we've developed a rather simple, safe protocol with monitoring if someone's on medication, uh, it requires the doctor or, or nurse practitioner or physician assistant to understand those medical problems, but uh, having a gallbladder or not doesn't matter. I mean, and if someone thought it might be a problem, I teach them what to do, and then it's not just a, a snapshot, in my world, I have people come back and we talk about what they're doing. There might be some mid-course corrections that happen. Um, you know, or, for example, in someone who couldn't tolerate all of the meals, meal size, we would have them eat less um, food, less, but more frequently. I mean, so there there are certain fixes that we use just um, as empirically in certain individuals.
0: Uh, we work with. Um Patients that, let's say they have diabetes and maybe they're on drugs like metformin or statins or things like that, and do they end up combining that with the keto diet? Or do you do you prefer to just have them just do dietary intervention and not uh, combine it with any other drugs?
1: Well, if someone comes to me, my ideal spot to intervene for diabetes is before they're put on any medication. And, and every patient should be given a choice. Uh, yeah, you can go the medication route. But you know what happens there, most people will gain weight and they'll have diabetes forever. Or you can do a lifestyle route, and keto is just one of many lifestyles where you, if you intervene early, you can actually reverse the diabetes without medication at all. But I, I'm thrown into a medical world where the typical patient that I see is on insulin and metformin for the diabetes, Sometimes hundreds of units of insulin. They're on antihypertensives, often two or three antihypertensive blood pressure medicines. So we have to monitor that. <laughs> they're they're on statins for the. I mean, that's the statins are the, a minor thing when it comes to the medical deprescribing of all of these things in a clinical context. So you know that's a whole different world of health op- optimization. And do you want to worry about cholesterol when you have no arterial disease at all? I think that's a big distraction. What you want to do is to keep the blood sugar down um, and, and keep the carbs as low as you can, uh, thinking generally as an internist now, and in, in when you're trying to reduce or prevent chronic long-term issues that face us today. And then,
0: um, do you have patients that will lose weight for a time and then stall out and stop losing weight, even though they may have a lot more weight to go? Is that a common scenario, or, you know?
1: Yeah, so when we looked at our uh, our clinical sample, I've treated about 5,000 people. Uh, we have more data on 2,000 people over the last five years. The average BMI or body mass index is 35, which means most people have between 100 and 150 pounds to lose to become a normal weight. Um, just to give you an idea of, of the, the world I'm in, it's like going to a battle zone, you know, it's in a war zone to learn how to do surgery, you know. Um, so, yeah, stalls can happen, although on a keto low-carb diet, the most common stall reason for a stall early on is that carbs start creeping back in. And even if you get information in books that are written, even a book that I was on called The New Atkins for a New You, I'm one of the authors on that. We taught back then, and it's been you know eight years since that came out that you would want to gradually increase the carbs. I'm not so sure that's true anymore. And in my clinic, I keep people as low as they can on the carbs as long as they can comfortably. And there's a subset of folks who just find this is a great way to live. They don't really miss things or they find substitutes. But, you know, the most common cause for a stall is eating more carbs. The next most common reason is uh, a metabolic rate reduction internally where you're you're not automatically reducing what you're eating over time. You're basically going to cut down your metabolic rate. And and sometimes I have to help behaviorally to say, well, look, you know, do you have to eat three times a day? Are you eating out of hunger or or habit? You know, um, it's okay to eat once a day. I'll give it a name, intermittent fasting. You know, it's all the rage. You know, it's kind of funny when people ask me, is it okay to intermittent fast? Well, if you're eating really good foods like proteins and fats and a keto lifestyle, and you're not hungry and you eat once a day, of course that's fabulous. (laughs) if you want to call it intermittent fasting great and put a name on it but it's just kind of silly that i have to have people unlearn uh that i mean i don't have to fuel myself by eating every hour no because you're running on your body fat
0: (laughs) oh yeah people like to give names to stuff i mean everyone does and you know it makes sense when you talk about um keeping people low carb um can you put some general numbers to it like um you know, I've there's like an Atkins-like or an Atkins-mimicking diet or a keto-esque diet, I guess you could say. You know, the strict keto appears to be, from what I've heard, you know, 80% fat and, you know, the rest is protein, almost zero carbs. I've heard numbers bandied about like 20 grams of carbs a day or 30 grams of carbs. So what are some of the uh, levels or metrics that you use with patients that uh, show them success?
1: Sure. So in my clinical research that we started 20 years ago, we contacted the doctors who were using it clinically and Dr. Atkins started at 20 grams, total grams or less for the day. Dr. Eads, Dr. Mary Dan and Mike Eads wrote Protein Power and they used 20 grams total for the whole day. So the practitioners at the time found out by trial and error that 20 grams or less, and of course this is Americans living from 1970 to 2000 with uh, whatever they were eating at the time and lifestyle and all. Um, and they kept people at 20 grams or less, wrote wrote it in their books and used that in their clinical practices. We borrowed Dr. Atkins' method to do our own clinical research down at Duke University. And so what we studied was the 20 gram. I and mean, we were one of the only, Will Yancey, Dr. Yancey and I are, one of the initial, initial researchers who studied this diet, and, and we thought as physicians, well, let's talk to other physicians who've used it. Maybe we can learn something. And so that's where we came up with 20 total carbs. It wasn't us doing 20s and 30s and 50s and 100. Every other researcher that I'm aware of that at the time had no experience using a low-carb diet, and they never talked to a doctor who used a low-carb diet. They thought they were quacks. So they had to come up with their own method. In fact, one of the researchers that just published in the last year uh, out of Stanford came up with a strange methodology of well, we'll let people figure out how many carbs they think they can eat, and then that'll be the what we have people do, which is totally not a clinical idea. So you know how people come to this um, twenty grams is the if you want it to work for everyone, and that you know as a doctor, someone comes to me, they want it to work. I don't say, you know, well, you can start at 50 and then if it doesn't work go down to 40 and I say, look, start at 20, it's going to work. See how you do and then add back if you need to. But, you know, most people if you like meat, poultry, fish and shellfish and eggs and cheese and 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 veggies, you know, most people find that kind of lifestyle pretty palatable if it's, you know, taught in the in the right way. So I don't know, that's another area for research. What is the limit of carbs that an individual can have, of course, Dr. Atkins' answer was go out and get some strips for the urine or strips for the blood and find your own keto threshold. You know, But even that idea has never been tested formally in a large scale clinical trial. To know if someone does that, will they actually do better than someone who just keeps carbs low? So we're we're kind of in that area of the clinical lore of how to do it needs to be honed down and fine-tuned in clinical trials, um, or you just do it one-on-one with a given patient who's in front of you. you
0: know, what What have you seen? What's the stall amount of carbs? And I know it varies for different people, but is there a range at which it appears to stall the person's progress or reverse it?
1: Well, uh, you know, when I look at the daily intake of carbohydrate, many dietitians are kind of shocked that I look at a 50-gram a day carbohydrate is high <laughs> to most dietitians they think that's really low so uh, you know when you think about the reality of the bodily systems that we have if you poured out all of the blood of an individual who didn't have diabetes there's only five grams of glucose sugar in the bloodstream so when you eat an apple that has 20 grams of carbohydrate it's going to raise the blood glucose and your insulin comes out to keep it down and you know there's this whole Battle inside to keep the blood sugar low. So, in my experience, if you are sedentary, if you're older, then you have to be stricter on the carbs at that 20 gram level. The younger you are, the more active you are, the more carbs you can eat and maintain ketosis or maintain weight loss or whatever your you know diabetes control. Um, And you know, just think now of what's happening uh, in the U.S. currently. There are gyms and areas that are using keto approaches and low-carb approaches, and they can teach a higher level of carbs per day, because when you look at who's going into these gyms, they're relatively young. Remember, the older you are, the less carbs you can have, and they're relatively active. Well, remember, they're going to a gym, and they're actually doing activities. <laughs> so that's the, those are the main factors, is the the younger you are, the more active you are, the more carbs you can eat. Now, the actual number. No, I would love to have a data set of, you know, just 100 or 500 people and and work out the exact regression equation to say, you know, for every year you can have 0.2 grams per day. We just don't have that level of data yet, but but it's coming.
0: Okay, that's great. Oh, well, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, a lot of the talk is about low carb, low carb, low carb, but I don't hear anyone say specifically low sugar, even though it's for sure implied. So do you have to overcome that in patients' minds? You know, that, okay, I get it, low carb, but you find that they're still having sugar or do the two just go hand in hand and there's never a problem. And do you have patients that are low carb, but high sugar or high sugar, but low carb? Is that even possible?
1: Yeah, so how, how people are taught about carbohydrates and sugars and starches and food in general, it's fascinating. And most of us have kind of a tabula rasa, don't know anything about food and and what carbs are. So uh, in the initial instruction that we give, we're really clear that a carbohydrate raises the blood sugar, blood glucose, and carbohydrates are uh, comprised of sugars or starches. They're they're the same. So uh, a starch gets digested, the sugar raises the blood sugar, a sugar gets digested, as sugar raises the blood sugar. So that's the fundamental teaching that needs to happen early on. Um, or even in some cases, what I do is I don't even go down. Well, I, I give that information, but I just say, look, stay to these foods on this one piece of paper that I give you and it'll work. You know, <laughs> so when I go to get my car fixed, I, you know, I don't really want to know if it's the whatever valve in the gasket here or there. And sometimes the mechanics want to tell me and if I'm busy. I just want to get my car and leave. So there are people who come to the doctor with that mentality too. Just like, just tell me what to do, what to eat. So we have that. In fact, that was the system that Dr. Atkins used for 30 years in the clinical practice in New York City. And we studied it down at Duke in our clinical trials. And now we use that clinically. So it, the, how you teach it is, um, is of course, very important. And whether you teach at a level of a, a scientist, a biologist, I, I do that. Or if I teach at a level of someone who doesn't care about any, you know, I mean, it's a different language, <laughs> you know, you just put the food that, that don't raise the blood sugar, they give you great nutrition, and it can work well. But yeah, there's confusion about, is it sugar, that it starch? When I look on a label, I look the sugars. No, we teach, look at the total carbohydrates on the label because sugar is added into that total carbohydrate level. Um, so, you know, some people want it really simple, some people want to know the deep dive and and we can connect people to apps and websites and all that um but when the world gets tough or rough or busy you know you want to have a simple system that people can fall back on and that's the understanding that protein comes first regard in regard you know regardless of all of the keto hype and all these products what you want to know is that what we really need is to give ourselves protein at the end of the day and so that's basic teaching as well
0: okay well we're good um, so we're kind of out of time. So what are some resources for listeners? You said there's, you know, well, obviously there is tons of stuff out there. Um, resources for someone that's just starting, then maybe resources for someone that has been on a keto diet or keto S diet and they're they're having trouble. Um, maybe a
1: couple of suggestions there. Sure. So just general information, I think worldwide, the most popular website is called dietdoctor.com. It's based out of Sweden, and there's a free side and a subscription side. so there's a lot of great information to get started at dietdoctor.com. Our specific work that we've done at Duke, we're scaling up in different ways. One is a clinical program. There's good information at the website called healclinics.com. That's H-E-A-L-C-L-I-N-I-C-S.com, and then adapt your life is another company I'm involved in that makes products that are keto friendly. And there's a lot of great information in, at that website. There are all sorts of apps and, and things that I've seen get people in trouble by focusing on eating too much fat rather than keeping the carbs low. And and so if the app that you've chosen isn't helping you or it's not working, don't blame the diet for not working. It's the how the particular app has been teaching you. And I, And I will take a lot of people from the, the kind of bio you know, hacking world to just keeping things simple and it'll start to work then.
0: Well, very good. Well, Dr. Westman, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues